Welcome to Eastgate Church. I trust you'll find this message inspiring and encouraging for you today. Father, we thank you uh, for bringing us here this morning. Uh, we ask, Lord Jesus, that as we open your word now, that you would speak to our hearts and that you would change our lives. And we pray that you would illuminate the scriptures to us in what way you choose to do to us today. And we pray, Lord God, that you would uh, change us, that not one of us would leave this place without being changed by the power of your Holy Spirit this morning. So, Lord, we pray that you would uh, open our eyes, open our ears uh, as uh, we study your word here together right now in Jesus' name. Amen. If you've got your Bible, uh, let's turn to the book of Acts and chapter 16. If you're looking for the book of Acts, it's more than halfway through, but not quite three quarters of the way through. And chapter 16 is somewhere in the middle of the book. going to read a, a portion here from chapter 16. So it's a portion that uh, to many people will probably be fairly familiar. We're going to start at verse 16, chapter 16 of Acts and verse 16. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gained by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us crying out, these men are servants of the most high God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour that night and washed their wounds and was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. But when it was day, the magistrate sent the police, saying, Let those men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul, saying, The magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, They have beaten us publicly, uncondemned men who are Roman citizens, and have thrown us into prison, and do they now throw us out secretly? No. Let them come themselves and take us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. 
So they came and apologized to them, and they took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia, and when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. Amen, and may Lord bless his word to us this morning. I'm going to draw out a few points from this uh, passage here this morning. You know, many people uh, here, um, fortunately not in this church, I don't believe, but many people out in society and sadly in some churches have some misunderstandings of uh, Scripture, misunderstandings of the gospel and what does it actually mean. And there's some interesting things in this passage that teaches us a lot about how we should actually be as followers of Christ. How we should conduct ourselves, how we should live out our lives on that day-to-day basis. Many out in society, how many people have heard uh, people saying, ah, well, yeah, the church, it's all just the same, it's all just about religion, religion's all about, it's just constrictive, it's just restrictive on your life. I just want to live, I just want to live and live, let live, and I just want to have this freedom to do whatever and be whoever I want to be. You know, how many times do we hear that in the media, you know, who, how, who are you to tell me whatever, you know, and there's this phrase that I absolutely detest that people go around going, oh, you do you. You know, sort of idea of, well, you just be yourself, but I'll just be myself. Uh, well, no, actually, you know we have a responsibility to fellow people out in society when we know the truth and we know that there's people in error. We have a responsibility in love. That's the most important part here, in love, to point them out the error of their ways. Not to endorse them in the nonsense of their ways because that leads them down that darkened path even further. We have a responsibility to point them to the truth. Not just say, ah, well, you know, congratulations, well done. You just continue in your own little merry path. When we know where that merry path lands them in the end. Right? We were all once sinners. We were all once on a path to hell. Doesn't sound very nice, but it's the reality of the truth. But yet Jesus came into our hearts and he saved us. So surely we should want to help others who haven't yet reached that point. Do you know, just this week, I was appalled. Um, I'm appalled on a number of occasions, it has to be said, but, uh, and increasingly so. But I was particularly appalled this week when I opened Twitter at one point and I saw that the Christian Climate Action Group had invaded and interrupted a service in the midst of Chichester. I think it was Chichester Cathedral. Uh, and, and can you believe it? And there was not just Christians there, but there was apparently clergy as part of it as well. These are leaders in the church interrupting a church service because apparently this you know, diocese is all involved in fossil fuels and, and whatever else, and this is the greatest crime. Right? A church service where someone could be saved and we're worrying about whether the daffodils are out. You know, that, that's the reality of things. And, and Romans, we touch that in a second, Romans has something to say about creator and creation and who we worship some people deliberately misunderstand the gospel and I would wager that it's the climate fanatics who are some of those people particularly within the church who have got caught up with these things to second Timothy talks about there'll come a time where there's just itching ears you know people want to hear what they want to hear rather than wanting to actually hear the truth I think I have preached on that before it's available on all good uh, YouTube channels um, if you want to watch it again um, and Really, ultimately, when I look at things and I discern and I try and work out what's happening here, how do people get to this stage? Well, in society, it's quite easy, in secular society, because they haven't yet found Christ. But what of people in the church who have got to this stage? It's because of a lack of awareness of the spiritual realm. 
You see, we come into the church, we have this supposed transformation of salvation and ongoing sanctification, which is a work of the Holy Spirit, the clue is in the name, and yet so many people deny the reality of the spiritual realm. How can it be? Well, it's a deception that they have been pulled into. And when we deny part of that spiritual realm... We deny the reality of a lot of what is going on. You see, we need to understand that fundamentally we are primarily spiritual beings. How do we know that? We know that because what happens at a funeral? What's that famous phrase that says, well, from dust to dust we came and to dust we go, ashes to that, and so on and so forth. As, as a coffin goes down or it goes into the crematorium. Um, and why is that? Because actually as Christians we believe that we live. You see, the point is we, we go on forevermore. From conception is the point where our life starts, and it goes on forevermore after that point. This body, praise God, this body is only here for a short while. I, I, I'm going to be turned into perfection. I thought I was perfection already, right? Um, but, but, but I was reminded by a few people that know me well, maybe not so much. Um, uh, but um, uh, praise God, I'm going to be perfected uh, one day. We're all going to be perfected one day, hallelujah. Um, and uh, you know, the, the, the thing is, when we look at Romans 1 uh, and 25, let's just turn there really quickly, um, because it's Romans 1, if, if ever you want to know about what's going on in society, uh, just turn to Romans 1, have a look there. And when we see Romans 1.25, it says, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. So what we have here, and we see this most obviously in the climate fanatics in society right now, where they are literally worshipping creation. We need to do all this stuff because the earth is going to come to an end. If we don't, we need to stop heating our homes and we need to stop using the microwave. Do you know what I mean? Even a kettle has an IP address now because they want to have a kettle connected to the internet so they can control when your kettle works and doesn't work. That's where we're heading, you see. There's coming, these smartphone devices are all well and good, but folks, don't be wedded to them because there's coming a day where we might have to throw these in the bin. I pray we don't reach that point, but there may very well be a point where we, where we need that. I don't know. Let me demonstrate one point to you on that. I was talking to a colleague the other day uh, about something can't even remember specifically what it was. It's something that I have never typed into my phone, ever, or any device for that matter, and something that I don't think I've ever said the particular word vocally either. I said it on that occasion. I was on the train on the way home, and I'm scrolling through, what do I see on Facebook, an advert for that particular product? Right? Now, if you don't think these things are listening and recording everything, and you might say, ah, oh, well, you know, that's it. you can get adverts tailored to your needs, and it's useful. Yes, sure it is. Absolutely. But these things can also be used for very bad things as well. Control, manipulation. Right? So just a little side bit there. So don't, don't be deceived uh, by it. And what does the Bible say elsewhere? It says judgment begins at the house of the Lord. It means that we need to clean up our act first, you know, take the plank out of our eye before we worry about the speck in another eye. <clears throat> and when we look at the state of the church, uh, the state of the nation, we can actually look at the state of much of the church. You know, the, the, the part of the reason, I think, that there's so many problems in society is and the society is in such a poor state is because the church has voluntarily withdrawn itself from the public square. The church has voluntarily decided... No one actually shut us up. No one actually said the church should be quiet. We've allowed a militant, atheistic spirit to prevail within society. 
and might I add to that the militant spirit of Islam as well. God is in the process of refining his remnant church. I'm proud to be part of the remnant church. I don't know if anyone else is proud to be part of the remnant church, but I for one certainly am. And the world wants to tell us what they think the truth of the Bible actually is. You know, has anyone ever had that? Someone outside society trying to, to, to tell you what actually it means. And I saw a thing on the other day on the Babylon Bee. The Babylon Bee, for anyone that's not aware, is a satirical news website. Some people don't always get this. They got fact-checked a few years ago, and they were found to be mostly false. They put an article out saying, we're not mostly false, we're entirely false. Uh, they, they were appalled by this fact-check. Um, but uh, they, they, I saw a thing on the, uh, there the other day saying that a, a man who has never read the Bible professes to be expert on what Jesus would do today. Now, of course, this, you know, it's a satirical article, but it's a little bit close to the truth, really, isn't it? You know, how many times, whenever we have a, a, some sort of major news event, you always find these sorts of celebrities who are involved in satanic music and, and all sorts of occultic practices, and they're sitting there trying to tell you, oh, I love your neighbor, isn't that what the Bible tells you to do? Well, yeah, it is. But before that, it tells you to repent, believe, and be baptized. It, it, it happens to me a lot on Twitter, you know, I might say something or I reply to someone else's tweet and I get a reply. And when you look at the biography, they are a totally anti-Christ person. Yet they want to try and say, that's not very Christian. Because they've got this sort of ridiculous nonsense idea of what a Christian is. Because they watch the bishops in the House of Lords who sit there and promote their nonsense about how we need to protect the daffodils more than the unborn child. When was you know, Even just this week, I saw the, the Bishop of London has been leading the charge within the Church of England, leading the charge for same-sex marriage, same blessing of same-sex relationships. When are we going to find the bishops standing up for the truth? When are we going to find the bishops actually picking up the Bible and reading the Bible in Parliament? They've been placed there for a reason, and they're not fulfilling their purpose. So there's three main points I want to draw out from this passage here, and a few sub-points within it. Firstly, discern the spirits. Don't be distracted. Secondly, stand for truth, because the truth will stand. And secondly, contend for the gospel. You know, the gospel is an offensive mission. I'm not saying offensive there in a sense that it's there designed to offend people. Yes, the truth will offend people because it hits them hard in the heart. But that's not the aim. It's an offensive rather than defensive. So it's, it's offensive in the sense that it's the opposite of defensive. We are to wage war on evil. We are to wage war and take back ground for where the devil has taken it. So firstly, discern the spirits. Let us not be distracted or deceived. When we look here in chapter 16, at first, this woman that's following Paul and Silas around, she seems to be speaking the truth, isn't she? Yes. She seems to be saying, these two, they're sharing the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Look at them, look to them, listen to what they're saying. So there's nothing wrong, ostensibly, there, is there? And I say ostensibly. Because actually, how comes then, if she's helping them, how comes Paul then stops what he's doing, turns around and casts the demon out of her. It's because he reaches a point where he's probably discerned that there's a demon there beforehand, but allows it to go on for such a time. But it reaches the point where she's becoming a distracting spirit. Why? She was a, the Bible tells us she was a divinator. A divinator is someone that can see forward things. 
see things forward. And so there was people in the marketplace in that society who uh, uh, used her in order to make money. They used her in order to make money because, uh, and so for her to say these people are telling about Christ, she was not making it about Christ, she was making it about her. Right? And that's the important distinction there, that actually Paul and Silas were pointing the way to Jesus, and she was saying, look at these men, they're the ones pointing the way to Jesus. Yes, but the point is, because she was a foreteller of things to come through these dark and demonic spirits, that what was happening was she was hoping that she would draw people in and then distract them away from that and onto the demonic practices. Does it make sense? Yeah? And this is where you get the deception. You see, the thing about deception is there is always an element of truth, because that's the hook. Anyone ever been fishing? You know, you, you, you cast it out, don't you, and then you sort of sit there and watch the trees blowing gently in the wind and wonder what we've done to the climate. No, um, but that you'd hope that a, a fish gets hooked, and then, you know, you feel it, and then you sort of reel it in, don't you? That's that hook. But what's on the, why, why did the fish go for the hook? Did it just see a lovely little piece of metal dangling? Oh, I'd love to bite down on that. No. He sees a fly. He sees something that he actually wants, to, that he thinks is nutritious. Right? I remember years ago, when, when, when I was a child, which I hasten to add was not too many years ago, despite what you're thinking, and um, there, there, there was this whole push to try and get children to eat vegetables. So Sainsbury's came out with this line of chocolate-coated carrots, right? And it's sort of an attempt to, so children would sort of, you know, ooh, look, a piece of chocolate and chomp down on it, and then they would discover that they really actually like carrot. I, I mean, I, I, my parents never, never put me through that torture, um, uh, but I'm sure some did. It didn't work out because they didn't sell them anymore. Um, but it's almost like that. That's a, that's a deception. So there's the truth of a chocolate. But there's something, I'm sorry if you like carrots, there's something rather nasty after the chocolate that comes, this, this chomp of, of carrot um, that's there. Carrots are for rabbits, in case you've ever um, wondered. Um, that, that, that let's leave them for the rabbits, and then we'll eat the rabbits, you see. Um, uh, if you like rabbits, maybe. Um, but you see, so, so that hook, it looks desirable, it looks nice, doesn't it? Oh yeah, go for a bit of that. And it's boom. And then you're being reeled in. And you, if, you watch, if you watch the video, I, was watch, I follow this uh, channel on YouTube. Is this family that have been sailing around the world for the last, I think it's six or seven years now. Um, and uh, sometimes out in the ocean, they do quite a lot of fishing. And, uh, and they get these Dorottos. And, and some of them are quite big, and they're really struggling to reel it in. But you can see this thing swimming and desperately trying to unhook itself, to sort of carry on with life. But it's hooked. It's being reeled in. There's, there's not a lot it can do about it. And this is the thing with deception. Once you're deceived, you only realize and it's too late. Which is why we need to discern the spirits up front in order that we're not deceived. This woman had a distracting spirit because she was distracting from the truth of Jesus and onto her own program or the, the devil operating through her his program. She heaps this praise on Paul and Silas. And, and the devil knows that Jesus is king. Uh, the Bible tells us that. So whilst, uh, so, so, and, and it, the Bible also tells us that the devil can appear as an angel of light. And, and I think this is a prime example of that, uh, where, where it's pretending to be dressed up and masquerading as something in which it's actually not. And folks, I want to tell you this morning, 
do not ever try to tame a demon. You cannot tame a demon. Right? If you think you can tame a demon, then I'll take you to Nairobi, and you can go and collect yourself a pet leopard, and then you can go and live with that and see if you can tame that one. Right? There are some things you just can't tame. The tongue, as James tells us, is another thing. Right? Demons need to be tackled head on. Right? We've had demons in this place. Demons will be everywhere. We need to discern it. We need to be asking the Holy Spirit to help us to see that spiritual realm. Now more than ever, really, because demons are jumping around all over the place. I'm not saying every single thing that's bad is necessarily a demon. There is such a thing as temptation that people are just given over to themselves. They're not necessarily possessed. They're just morally corrupted, full of sin, and living a life contrary to that which Christ calls us to. But there are people who are under the influence of demonic possession, and it needs to be cast out. And if we try to just sort of tame it and sort of pat it on the back and manage it and put it into a little box, it will cause more damage. It needs to be tackled head-on, directly, and specifically.